Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk a little about soil health. Super important if you want to try to raise crops anywhere or grass, a garden, a lawn, anything. Soil health is tremendously important. So we're going to talk about that throughout our show today. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's happening on your farm, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. So next week is the Ag PhD Field Day, just a week from today. We'd love to have you join us on our farm. It's a free event we put on each year to say thank you to you for listening to us here on Ag PhD Radio. We've been doing the radio show for about 10 years. We've been on uh, on TV and doing our television show, Ag PhD, for 25 years now. So we're just super thankful, very appreciative of the support, and that's why we host the Ag PhD Field Day. It is a free event, free parking, free food, free drinks, free entertainment. Everything is free. We love having you join us on our farm. We just want to show you a little bit some of the things that we're doing, too, in terms of research and new technologies we're trying out, things like that. So it'll be a lot of fun. Got a lot of great guest speakers lined up, a lot of really good farmers from around the country coming in to talk to you. But uh, it's it's probably going to be a little bit warm that day. I just want to encourage you to come anyway. We start at 7 a.m. It's always beautiful at 7 a.m. And we, we take care of most of our outdoor stuff by like 1030 in the morning. So most of the rest of the day, you could be underneath a tent in an air-conditioned building or somewhere a little bit cooler. And again, we'll have uh, well, plenty of drinks there for you and Plenty of ice and water and that kind of thing, so you can stay hydrated. But anyway, it's 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's always the last Thursday in July. So this year, it's just a week from today, Thursday, July 27th. If you want to learn more, just go to agphd.com. Oh, and let me say, too, if you're listening and you go, wow, I'm just I'm too far away. We have people that come from almost all 50 states every single year. Um, and I am shocked at how many people drive so we have people drive from the East Coast, the West Coast. I mean, there are a lot of people that will literally drive 24 hours to come and see us. There is a huge airport that's 10 miles away from the field day site. So it, I, I find it's a lot easier and faster to just fly in. You can do that if you would like to. So just check out the Sioux Falls Airport. Uh, they have lots of flights going in and out every single day. But otherwise, uh, you can drive however you want to get here. I don't care. We would just love to see you. Ag PhD Field Day next Thursday. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the Mailbag! All right, get this question from John down in Oklahoma. We're going to spray Triva Pro on our corn, and yep. our sweet corn patch happens to be in the same field. So I'm wondering how long after spraying until we're good to continue eating that sweet corn. Hopefully they'll just miss the patch with the airplane, but obviously there'll be some drift. Well, on the label of Triva Pro, there's a 14-day pre-harvest interval on sweet corn. Okay. So you got yep. two weeks according to the label and all the testing that's been done. And believe me, if they've got it labeled as short as two weeks, they've done a ton of testing. That's cost millions and millions of dollars to get all that testing done. 
Uh, yep. So that would be my thought. And, and yeah, like you say, you could instruct the aerial applicator, you know what, uh, leave a space around that. I, I don't want you to spray there. You could definitely do that too. Uh, then you have a nice little check strip in your corn as well of corn that didn't get treated. But otherwise, if you've got 14 days before you want to harvest the sweet corn, you should be good to go. Thanks for the question. Uh, next one comes from Diego down in Argentina. Uh, he said, hey, guys, uh, I got some potassium chloride or potash for uh, doing some testing. I want to build my base saturation up above 4%, and I'm in a corn and wheat and soybean rotation. So where do you suggest I start applying the K so I can test to see if I've got an economic return? Um he says he bought one big bag, so I'm assuming it's going to treat a relatively small area. But uh, do you have any particular crop or time of year you'd like to put that out there in front of? As soon as you can get it out. It's going to take time to break down. Where would you say he was from? Argentina. Yeah, so I don't know how much rain he gets, but I'll put it to you this way. On our farm, we're cold too, keep in mind. So our ground is frozen probably four or five months out of the year. <laughs> Maybe more some years. But anyway... My point here is if you don't have a lot of rainfall and you're really cold, it could take, like for us, we figure three years. We figure it takes our potash three years to fully break down. We have found dry fertilizer granules very often, um, eight months after application, 10 months sometimes. So I'm just saying I don't know how quickly it's going to break down. So you can't expect the world year one. And the sooner you can get it out there, the sooner the clock starts ticking to, hey, I'm getting that full breakdown. Um, which crops respond the best? Well, they all respond, so I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I guess corn and soybeans are the crops we raise predominantly on our farm. Soybeans need a ridiculous amount of K on a per-day basis for a short period of time, and a lot of broadleaf crops do, well, like when they're potting especially. But corn, in terms of total use, I mean, it's hundreds of pounds. It's way more than the nitrogen use of corn. So almost any crop it should be able to give you a payback, but it just all depends on the economics, the the price of your commodities, that kind of yep, thing. Yep, just as you're putting it out there, make sure you not only calculate how much will get you up to 4%, calculate what crop removal will be for that year too, and then yep. by the end of that year, you hope you'll be at 4% if you had enough moisture to get those pellets to all break down. <laughs> hey, Diego had one more question too. He said, how do you manage maintenance on machinery? How do you think about upgrades and buying new stuff? <laughs> Well, we that think could be about a whole show. Uh, yeah, it sure could. Uh, um, what's my super quick thirty-second summary? I would say we've got three guys that work for us full time on the farm, and when they are not doing actual, let's say, field work, they are spending a fair amount of time just working on equipment, just regular things, you know, the standard greasing, oil changes, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you you want to make sure you're taking care of the little things, otherwise pretty soon it becomes a big problem that was one of the big things our dad impressed upon us his words were there's always time for maintenance make sure you are taking the time making the time because if you don't you got big repair bills in terms of trading equipment off we look at tax benefits and you know potential income and all those kind of things so yeah it could be a whole show but we like keeping up the equipment we've got and getting new technology when we can stay tuned we'll be right back what does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. 
That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about soil health. A super important topic, as Brian mentioned before, whether you're talking about your lawn and garden or you're talking about a field or really anywhere. We want the soil to be in, in the best possible health in order to raise great, productive, and healthy food. Got Sean Arthur with us right now with Environmental Tillage Systems. How you doing, Sean? Uh, good afternoon. I'm doing great today, guys. You know, one of the things that I've liked about strip tillage, and, and I know folks will ask me, well, you know, is there one right way to do things? No, there isn't. In, in some cases, I think not doing any tillage at all is great. In other cases, you might have to till everything. But but my preferred method on most of my ground is to do strip till, where I can do some minimal disturbance and yet provide a great seed bed. Uh, how big a deal is that, Sean, when, when guys say, well, you got to be no-till if you want to build soil health? We sure haven't seen that on our farm. We, we've seen soil health built with strip till as well. Well, I would agree. I've seen that on many farms, uh, working with customers throughout the Midwest. Uh, strip till gives us the opportunity to provide tillage in a focused area, but still leave most of that area undisturbed. So uh, think of it on 30-inch corn. If we're creating a strip that's 8 to 10 inches wide, we're still leaving all two-thirds of the field undisturbed in that no-till type of condition. And when we get into the dog days of summer like we are right now, that can really change what's happening out there in the field. Uh, for anybody that's been out walking in cornfields right now, uh, if they're in an area that could be asking for a little bit of rain, it's not uncommon to look down and see areas of the field that maybe have some cracks that are forming out there. And we got to think about what that means. Those cracks are an indication of the soil possibly being overtilled or not having the structure that we want it to have. And as it collapses down, especially this time of year when things get a little bit dry, we might need to take a step back and reevaluate what we're doing to our soil throughout the year to give it the opportunity to have that good structure and build that soil health so that when things get dry like this, uh, it's not working against us. 
You know, you mentioned uh, the drought situation, and I think about, for us, one of the big things that we've noticed with strip tillage is we're able to put fertilizer down deep. Now, you may say deep to you is 4 inches, maybe it's 12 inches, whatever. You can really do whatever is best for your ground and your operation. For us, we put some fertility down below 6 inches because on our soil tests, all our fertility was in the top 6 inches, and we wanted to build it down deeper so when our root system goes deep when it's dry, it could pull nutrients in while it's pulling in water. Yeah, that's very important. We need to have water to be able to allow those nutrients to move into the root zone. And if we've got a plant that's expressing roots deeper, um, we want those fertil- or that fertility to be down there in an area where the water is and where the roots are. So you're spot on. Get that fertility in an area where it's going to be beneficial to the crop. One of the comments that I've gotten, Sean, this summer from, from guys that are in the extreme drought areas, they say, man, in between my strips, that ground was still hard. But where I did do the strip till, I was able to break through those hard pans, and that's been really helpful to get not only what little rain we catch into the ground, but also for our root system to get deeper. What what have you seen through the drought? I'm seeing similar things myself. That firm soil that we've got between our strips um, is also undisturbed, so there can be more cover on that. Uh, last year's residue could be helping to maybe protect that soil a little bit, where if you have bare soil that's going to be darker in color, when things get dry like this, that can tend to bake and uh, dry out the entire field at a little bit faster rate. So having that cover between the rows works into our favor. But like you said, having that work up ground, that tilled soil in the zone where your roots are going to be allows for better root expression. Um, and as we're talking about fertility, uh, one segment of growers that we talk to on a regular basis in the strip till industry are guys that have been no-till. Some of them are long-term no-till Uh, farmers they like the soil structure that they've built up but they're seeing some nutrient stratification after years and years of applying commercial fertilizer or manure at the surface of their fields it's not getting recycled down to depths where your uh, roots can get to it so doing strip tillage allows you to mechanically turn that soil put the fertility a little bit lower and into a zone where it's going to be more beneficial to the crop Yeah, we just want our crops to work together with what's going on beneath the soil, whether that be fertility, microbes, uh, whatever. Soil is a living, breathing thing that we want to protect and and build as much as we can. We're talking with Sean Arthur here with Environmental Tillage Systems. Sean, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I appreciate you having me. Thanks, guys. You bet. We've got Abby Wick right now with Syngenta, and we're talking soil health today. Abby, how are you? I'm great. How are you? We're doing well. We're doing well. And I I think some folks would say, man, it's Syngenta and they're focused on soil health too? Of course they are. Abby, talk to us a little bit about what you're working on right now. You know, I just started with Syngenta on June 1st, but we've had uh, Matt Wallenstein, who is the chief soil scientist at Syngenta. He's been there for over a year. And there's been the hiring of a new team at Syngenta to start looking at soil health, not only measurement, but also modeling. Um, the how-to on farm, and then the education outreach part of it. So uh, there's been a big push and a big commitment from Syngenta in this area. Abby, you've been working on this for, for a long time. Why is it so challenging uh, to, to scale up soil health practice adoption? Uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's difficult because we often think of soil health practices and adoption of practices as going farm by farm, right? We, we work with a grower they, they evaluate which, which practices would work for their operation. They look at their logistics. And, and it, can be, you know, it can be challenging to go through this farm by farm. And we have a lot of 
you know, sustainability initiatives that people are trying to reach and, and farmers who are curious for information and they want to try new practices or they want to find new solutions to problems on their farm. And, and so, you know, really thinking about it uh, from a larger scaling approach is important. How can you reach more growers with information that's science-based, uh, that's practical and applicable? Um, what does that look like? Does it come through advisors? Does it come through online materials or in person? Do you, you know, do you do a lot of demos? Um, so I think, you know, the scaling is really the tough part of soil health that I think most of us working in this area have been up against. You know, when you look at Syngenta from seed and traits to seed treatments and crop protection products and, and much more, uh, there, there just get to be a lot of questions by farmers as they're going through each step of their program, getting the field ready, getting the seed in the ground, choosing the right seed, uh, and then how do you protect the seed and also build soil health? Uh, where, where I guess, are growers going to see Syngenta working on this, Abby? Are, are, are they going to be walking along hand-in-hand hand all the way, or are, are there some certain areas that you'd say, no, no, we, we really want to focus on this aspect or that one? Well, I think they're going to see it across seeds and crop protection. Uh, both sides have initiatives that are that are related to sustainability or regenerative agriculture or soil health, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think they're going to see, you know, a lot of efforts both uh, with our ground, our people on the ground that are um, that are working with ag retailers and, and you know some in some cases growers on a global scale. Uh, so we'll see hopefully some additional knowledge built in that resource. Um, hopefully we'll see some work in R and D, where maybe you know if we think about the way farmers have selected seed in the past uh, for reduced till systems that may be cold or wet in the spring. Uh, that, that behave just a little bit differently uh, than a conventionally tilled soil. Hopefully they'll see some assistance in that area uh, with their with their seeds. Um, you know, and I think just the, the curiosity of knowing knowing enough about soil health to figure out where the opportunities are and what you can ask is is really a, a great way for a company like Syngenta to kind of think through this and be meaningful and impactful uh, in helping growers. Well, it certainly says something about the type of team Syngenta's trying to build when they pull somebody like you, Abby, that's been in Wyoming and, and Virginia and North Dakota now for a while. Uh, you've been all over. You've seen it. Uh, what When you look at collaborations, I, I would assume this this means government, industry, university, really everyone everyone involved. I hope so. I think that's, that's one of the things I like to do and what I've done in the past is really bring people together on something because we know that you know, one company can move forward in, in a direction and use their resources and create a program. But what if multiple companies move forward? And what if they work with universities and government agencies and uh, crop advisors and individuals working directly with growers? And so, um, you know, I think that that's a unique opportunity to bring resources and, and, and people together on this. And so I, I, I can kind of, you know, I can see where that would be something that, you know, we'd like to do uh, with our group is, is work more closely with others who have sustainability initiatives or are working with growers directly, um, and then do it on a global scale. All these systems look different for North America than they do the rest of the world. And so uh, I like the challenge of trying to figure out what does that look like and what resources could be provided. Well, it is a big challenge, but we're glad uh, teams like Syngenta are on this. Abby, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. Look forward to talking to you again down the road. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, 
a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 Yield Saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 Yield Saver. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, man. We are so excited about the Ag PhD Field Day coming up next week on Thursday, one week from today. That's Thursday, July 27th, right on our farm here near Baltic, South Dakota. Check out agphd.com for all the details and to pre-register. One of the guys you may get to talk to at the Field Day is our friend Kelly Garrett. Farms down in Iowa, works with the Extreme Ag Group. How you doing, Kelly? Good. How are you, Darren? Well, I'm pretty good. We're talking about soil health on today's show, and I know a lot of the I've heard a lot of the questions that you get at our field day, and it's a lot of guys. Okay, I want to turn this around, and next year I want 300 bushel corn, and I don't think soil health can <laughs> uh, can be improved that much in one year. But what are some of the things that you'd say for growers that say, you know what, I do want to improve soil health, and and maybe it does take longer. Where do I start? Uh, to me, it starts with no-till and getting the natural microbes or biological system up and going. That would be the first step. 
You know, when when I look at some of the things that you've been doing and 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 seen the yield increases that you've had, um, it, it's pretty exciting to look at what a difference balanced fertility can make. And I was curious what what your observations have been with the ground that you've been farming for a while, where you've really been attacking balancing the fertility, and maybe some new ground that you picked up that you haven't quite got there yet. You know, on that on that older family ground that's been around for generations. Uh, I would tell you that the microbial system, the biological system, just keeps cranking up and up. And we're taking some different soil tests now, uh, learning about how much nitrogen is actually being mineralized in the soil. And it's kind of an astonishing amount, Darren, to be honest. And so when we learn and we can validate how much nitrogen is being released by the soil, we keep taking the carbon, the sulfur, and the other micronutrients higher and higher, trying to achieve that balance that you speak of. You know, the other thing I think about, too, along with that is residue breakdown. And oftentimes we'll have growers say, I've got all kinds of residue from two corn crops ago that's still out in my field. And then I visit some of these other guys and their residue's gone. Uh, is that something you notice, too, when you get all those microbes working? It, it, it is. You know, and w there's another product that we spray uh, that we spray called ResCycle that helps us break it down. That plant food byproduct that, uh, you know, the, from the liquid feed industry, that helps break it down. Pasturing the corn stalks with our cow herd helps break it down. But still, the residue can be a problem. And in some fields, and I, I can't figure this out for sure, I don't know yet, but in some fields, it'll disappear. And in other fields, it sticks around longer. Obviously, where it disappears, the biological system is working better, but I can't always validate or put my finger on why. That's one of the things that I'm trying to understand better. Hey, you brought up a topic that a lot of our listeners will discuss, and they'll say, man, I have cattle that graze my stalks. I love that system. I love that the cattle process those stalks, put it out there as highly available fertilizer for my next crop. Uh, some would call that manure, uh, but, but I like to call it highly available fertilizer. Uh, that's a pretty good system, too. What do you notice when, when you get cattle in certain fields and you manage them well? That, that's a big advantage. It is a huge advantage. And you know what the cattle are to me? When we're talking agronomics and we bring cattle into the equation, it's a carbon transfer system. That's what it is. Carbon is neither created nor destroyed by those cattle. They're going to eat the feed. And like you say, they're going to, uh, they're going to give us some highly available fertilizer. And it just makes the stock, you know, by eating them and, and breaking it down in the manure, by stepping on it and, and driving it into the soil, things like that, it really helps the breakdown. And I feel a lot of times we can very much see a better stand of soybeans or a better stand of corn when the cattle are on the field versus when they're not because that breakdown is so much more advanced. So Kelly, when, when growers see you at the Ag PhD field day or at other events and, and they're too nervous to come up and talk to you, what, what would you tell them and what kind of advice would you give them right now? I, I love to talk farming and anybody could come and talk to me at any time. I'm an open book and I just love to visit. Yeah, I just love watching Amber just kind of sit off to the side, and then as soon as she sees <laughs> other farmers approach, she's like, yep, this is probably going to be an hour. <laughs> well, we do appreciate it, Kelly. We do appreciate how, how friendly you are and outgoing you are with other farmers, too, and, and your willingness to help. And it's it's part of the reason that you're in the Extreme Ag Group, too, just to offer information up to other farmers. Thanks for sharing a little bit with us today, and good luck to you. Hope to see you soon here. See you, Darren. I'll see you in one week. Have a great day. You bet. Bye. You too. So just the other day I was talking to a group of farmers and I got the question about the Haney test and what do we think about the Haney soil health test? And I said, look, 
I, I, I have nothing to say bad about the Haney test other than I just don't like the cost. But I said, I can look at a regular soil test and I can usually tell you if you have a healthy soil or not. Because here are some of the things I'm looking for. Drainage. And you might say, well, wait a second. If you're not in the field, how can you tell if there's good drainage based on the soil test? Well, a lot of times I look at soil pH. I look at sodium and salts. I look at nitrogen, sulfur, and boron. If those things are high, we most likely have a drainage problem. So there there are a bunch of indicators. I don't always know 100%, but drainage it's a huge thing. You got to have air in that soil. Otherwise, I can promise you, you will not have a healthy soil. So I look at drainage. I look at soil organic matter. If you have higher levels of organic matter, you're going to have a healthier soil. You're going to show a higher level on that Haney test. Um, then I would say base saturation. And I know there are a lot of people that say, oh, the base saturation doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. You're going to have a higher test with the Haney method. You're going to have just better soil health. If you have your calcium in that range, roughly 65 to 75%, like we talk about all the time, magnesium 12 to 20%, potassium 4 to 8%, sodium less than 1%, that's a big deal. And hydrogen, I mean, as long as it's 10% or less, it could be just a hair over 10, you know, and all these things. I mean, it doesn't have to be exact, but you just get in the ballpark and usually it's pretty good. Okay, so we talked about drainage, organic matter, base saturation, and base saturation is at least for those five nutrients, calcium, magnesium, potassium, sodium, hydrogen, that is a measurement of balance in the soil. But on top of that, I've got two words for you. And these are the two big keys when we talk about soil fertility. It's balanced and ample. I want my nutrients balanced in that soil. If I have way too much phosphorus in relation to the zinc or the copper, if I have way too much potassium and I don't have enough of some of the other nutrients. I mean, you can have lots of problems in that soil, even if you've got something where you go, oh, I got all kinds of this or that. Yeah, I get it. But unless you have some of the other things, your soil fertility isn't balanced, your soil health isn't great, and then your yields aren't going to be where you want them to be. So anyway, when I use the word ample, I'm especially referring to phosphorus and potassium. At least in heavy soils, phosphorus and potassium basically don't leach. I mean, they can move a little bit, especially the potassium, but you you can build that soil up and you don't have to worry that, oh, next year I got to replace it like you do with nitrogen. I mean, every year you got to fertilize with nitrogen. You don't with P and K if you build it up right. Now, I'm not saying we, we want to build up, you know, to unbelievably high levels, but I see a lot of soil tests where they go, oh, I got 10 parts per million of phosphorus and people are telling me that's not too bad. What? That's terrible. So that is not ample. And it's the same thing with potassium. Potassium is the biggest one. A lot of people aren't doing too bad on phosphorus. But it's the potassium one where people are trying to get by with 1%, 2% base saturation K, 100 parts per million, maybe 200 parts per million of potassium. That's never going to work, especially in a dry year. But it's never going to work in a, in a wet year even. So you got to have an ample amount of fertility out there if you want great yield, which then translates to great soil health. So here's the connection. The more crop you raise, the more roots you have, that means the more organic matter you can build. But then on top of that, keep in mind that soil health is in, in many ways driven by the microbes that are alive in your soil. 
the more you have roots in that ground, the more that those roots will kick sugars out to feed a lot of the microbes. And then the more there is to break down, the more the microbes have food. I'm, I'm just saying here, it's a really big deal when you take care of, do the things that are taking care of your crop. And then that also leads to better soil health. And then that in turn leads to better crops again, which in turn leads to even better soil health. And so it just keeps going. It's great. So we want good soil health because then we raise better crops, we make more money, we leave the soil in better condition for the next generation. It's all good stuff. So soil health, one of the most important things you could ever work on as a farmer. Stay tuned, we'll get to more of your questions next. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time, adapted to their surroundings, experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about soil health on the show, and we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd like, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. And I got an interesting email here. This one comes from uh, Aubrey down in Alabama. Uh, I'm an old hobby farmer. I really like your broadcasts, and I plant some sweet corn each year, and I also plant some sunflowers. My wife really enjoys the beautiful blooms. Uh, got a couple of questions for you on that, though. We've got sickle pod, and I can control it in the corn pretty well. That's not a problem, but the sunflowers, it's a challenge. I've got a sandier soil, CEC of 3.4, and uh, I can apply a pre-emerge herbicide, so I'm just curious, are there any that I could put on in front of sunflowers that would do a nice job on sickle pod? Unfortunately, you don't have a lot of options in sunflowers. There's nothing you can do post-emerge. Pre-emerge, Eptam is about the only thing, and there is a granule version. There's a liquid version, so you can just look on either label, but use the maximum rate. It's just it's got to be incorporated right away, so you have to till it in. Otherwise, it's not going to—I mean, it's going to evaporate on you is what's going to happen. On top of that, we usually are talking to people in sunflowers about a PPO, so Spartan, namely, and then one of the yellows. We prefer Sonalan, that also needs to be incorporated, but Prowl is good too in a non or unincorporated situation. So whatever you do, I just say you got to get some Eptam out there because that's the only thing that's probably going to help you out a lot on Sicklepod. You might get a little suppression out of the Spartan, probably won't get much out of the yellow, but I mean... There, again, there's nothing you can do post-emerge, quite frankly, for any broadleaf weed in sunflowers, unless, of course, you're using clearfield sunflowers or express sun sunflowers or something. But, I mean, and there are some others, but you're, you're very limited because you're talking ALS chemistry. So if you have ALS-resistant weeds like water hemp, palmer pigweed, kochia, things like that, then the ALS just isn't going to cut it. All right, thanks for the thanks for the question and good luck to you. I agree with you. The sunflowers are are certainly pretty when they're they're all blooming. And I get this from Patrick down in Zambia. He said, "Hey guys, um, really appreciate your response to previous question, but also uh, I was watching a talk you guys did on distillers grains, and and he did a nice job explaining it. Down here in Zambia, we call it maize brain from the brewers, but I thought it was pretty neat. I could keep up with what you're saying. Hey, thanks, Patrick. We really appreciate that. Thanks for for your support." Got this one that came in from John out in Maryland, and he said, all right, guys, I'm going to give you a list here of ways that we lose water in the crop, and I'm curious if you can come up with some other ways. And he listed eight different ways, but I can sum them up, Brian, to either evaporation or just water moving down through the soil and the crop not catching it. Uh, I was just thinking, what are the best ways that we could help our crop catch more water? And I'll give you my list, Brian. You can comment and see what you think if I miss something. So first of all, I'd say build soil organic matter. Yep. That'd be number one on my list. I would balance nutrients to increase porosity and water infiltration in my soil, especially I'd look at calcium percentage. If I'm really high in magnesium or sodium or something like that, it can prevent water from moving down into the soil well. Then I would grow great crops with massive roots so I wouldn't let water slip past and try and catch as much of it as I could. Uh, I would establish crop canopy quickly so I could try and shade the ground out and not lose water to evaporation. 
I would use cover crops if I had extra growing season to try and catch any, any water at that time. I would reduce or eliminate tillage. Uh, that that's a nice way to not give up moisture. And then the last thing, I would install drain tile. And you say, wait a second, you're going to get rid of water. But what, I, what I've seen on our own farm is where we've got tile installed, our root system goes deeper. And if our root system goes deeper, our crop has a chance to use more water. So that that's my seven steps to catching more water. Anything you think I missed there? Yes. Minimize compaction. When you were talking about balancing nutrients to get better water infiltration, compaction is a really big deal. So I I would take a look at that. When you talk about the cover crops, I can go both ways on that thing. You said plant cover crops to catch moisture. I would say don't plant crop cover crops that are going to use your moisture. So again, I... I'm not saying cover crops are bad. Please don't misunderstand. I'm simply saying how much moisture is left in that ground after a cover crop, I can make the argument it's going to be less. So I understand the benefits. I do. What I'd rather have out there would be the residue of the crop that I just raised and leave that. So like in our case, for example, we'll harvest corn and soybeans in, let's call it, late September to late October. Okay, we don't have a lot of growing season left. We have a month, maybe a month and a half, depending on the year. Well, if I plant a cover crop there, um, I'm going to I'm going to pull some moisture out of that ground. Instead, I could just, let's say, harvest my corn high. And with the soybeans, I guess you just have, kind of have to leave the residue out there and stand. But like with corn, and that would be the other thing that I would add here, I would consider something like corn rather than soybeans because like with corn, we can catch the snow better because I can leave a tall stalk out there. And then also I have so much more residue on the soil surface. I don't feel like I need a cover crop right then because I got so much residue covering that soil. My soil's fairly well protected, yet I didn't sacrifice moisture because I don't technically have anything growing and I get to catch snow over the winter. So I I would really look hard at crop choice. That's going to make a lot of difference in terms of what you're going to have for moisture the following year. All right. Uh, thanks for the question. And, and uh, just the, the whole thought press thought process behind let's let's just try and capture the moisture that we can and not waste any out in our fields get this one from sp uh you guys were talking about shelter belts and specifically planting new shelter belts and i got thinking about this i wonder is there any specific variety of trees that you would recommend well, SP, yeah. I, here's what I would oh, say. Ahead. First of all, I would say plant trees native to your area and right. plant lots of different species. That would be my two recommendations. Yes, exactly. Here, we're worried about winter kill, and we're worried about tolerating the diseases and insects that we have that are native to this area. So yep. if you've got native trees, they're they're the best able to do that. But yes. I mean, yes. there's certainly a lot of things that we can talk about and, and did talk about when we were discussing starting shelter belts. Yes, but in terms of tree selection, you can talk to many different people about this. And generally, when you're designing a shelter belt, you look at incorporating some shrubs in there and some taller trees. And you have to look at the spacing also, depending on the species that you're planting. But Darren's exactly right. Get something native to your area that usually gives you the best chance for success. And then don't just plant it and forget about it. You got to water 
And in advance, I'm not saying in between as much, but especially in advance, make sure that soil is super fertile and ready to go. That means lots of potassium, not a not this little piddly rate of potassium that a lot of fields have that we see. We're talking big time levels of K. If you do that, then your, your trees will grow really well and it gives them a much better chance to survive. All right, Brian, uh, I'll get started on this question, and we may need a little more time to get this one done, but this comes in from Lou over in central Michigan. He said, the past couple of years, we've had dry dry springs. I've seen significant stand loss and stunting on my non-GMO soybeans where I have overlaps and in sandy spots. Now, typically, my pre-emerge program has been using an authority premix like Sonic or Authority Assist spiked with a quarter pound of Metribuzin and a pint of Prowl. This year, we used Zidua Pro, and we spiked in a quarter pound of Metribuzin. Now, my typical CEC levels are anywhere from 5 to 10, and my organic levels, organic matter levels are 1 to 3. So I'm curious, since we are seeing some injury, especially where we overlap, should we adjust our Metribuzin rate? Should we adjust the authority rate? Uh, and, and the reason I'm asking is the spots where I missed with the sprayer, the beans are twice as tall. How much Metribuzin? A uh, quarter pound in, in both cases. Yeah. And he said, typically, yep. we're going no-till. And here's the other thing. We're putting these herbicides out one to two days after planting. Okay. Yes, I got some recommendations for you. I think we can help you. We're going to talk about that right after this break. That's uh, It is an interesting question. We do get a lot of concerns about pre-emerge herbicide use. So we're going to talk about how to get this done safely right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. When it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitech fungicide, <laughs> and there's everything else. When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitech, <laughs> and everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitech. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitech fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. 
This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time here, and you can send your questions in radio at agphd.com, or you can just give us a phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. And we get a question that came in from Lou over in central Michigan. It's been dry for the last couple of springs. He's seeing some injury putting out multiple pre-emerge herbicides ahead of non-GMO soybeans, and he said especially or he overlaps, uh, he sees them being significantly shorter than than areas that he missed. Okay, as much as we love metribuzin, and I want you to use metribuzin, it's going to tell you right on the label when you've got sand, you shouldn't use it. So when you're down to those areas of five for cation exchange capacity, that's very sandy. When you're down to organic matter and organic matter level of one, that also can be problematic. And then... If you double up that rate, you've gone from a quarter pound to a half pound. That's really pushing it. So if it's me, um, I would do one of two things. I'd either cut the metribuzin or I would just cut back that rate if you're going to continue to have these overlap spots. Otherwise, like on our sprayer, we've got automatic shutoffs. So we're not having such an issue with overlap like we used to we have we have a lot of point rows on our farm and it's it used to be very frustrating because it's either you have to shut things off early or or you shut them off late trying to avoid these issues well if you if you do shut it off a little bit late of course then you have the overlap you double up in some cases triple up and the crop just looks horrible. So anyway, most likely that's what's going on. Now, the other thing that I'm just going to throw out there, because it is really light soil, um, I, I'm i not going to say that there's for sure a problem with the ALS herbicide, but you've got an ALS in there for Sonic. You've got an ALS in there for Zidua Pro. Either way, I mean, I don't love it. Now, granted, it's just pursued. It's probably not causing any issues. But like with Zidua Pro, a lot of times people are using the full rate. Well, it's going to give you four ounces of pursuit. I just, it just makes me very uncomfortable. So I'd be cutting that back. Um, I, I just don't like that, that stronger rate. A small rate, I'm, I'm fine with, but just not a big rate. So other than that, any herbicide you're going to use in that kind of soil, just look right on the label. It will tell you right on the label, hey, when you've got light soil, you have to cut the rate. 
because they're concerned about crop injury. And the other side of it is you get more activity because it only takes a little bit of rain, and boy, you can get stuff right into that weed. So, I mean, there's good and there's bad with it. The good is you're going to save some money, uh, but, you know, the bad is, hey, you're not going to have as long a residual because you you couldn't use that higher rate. So, but that's, that's about all you can do, and that's really going to make this non-GMO thing a challenge. So here's here's what I would do. If that was my farm, I'd just make sure I'm planting in seven inch rows, ten inch at the at the widest. And the reason why is because we want to try to get crop canopy as early as possible. If you don't, I mean, you know what the herbicide options are later. None of them are like great or super broad spectrum or anything else when we start talking about conventional soybeans. Believe me, I know we've got conventional beans on our farm this year. We try to do everything we could for the residuals early on, and it's been great so far, but there are going to be weed escapes late in the year, and it's just, it's a challenge. All right, thanks for the question. Got this one from Peter down in southern Australia. He said, I've got interest about alfalfa establishment advice. Uh, We've got generally quite short fertility across the board. We've got heavy clay ground, high 20s CEC, and we've got flood irrigation. Now, we do have really good quality groundwater, low salt, pH neutral. It's also our household drinking water, by the way. He said, we normally get 26 inches of rainfall. Mostly comes in the winter, and in the past, our alfalfa we've grown has struggled with our wet winters, but we're keen to give it another go. Uh, looking, Looking for advice around loading up fertility before we put the seed in. As you mentioned, we're going to put seed in uh, late September, October, which is our spring. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I've got is incorporating residue from the previous crops. We can either graze it off heavily. We could cut silage. Mm -hmm. uh, We could till stuff in, too. Just wondering, how would you tackle the P, K, and micro application along with residue incorporation and herbicide incorporation too. And would also appreciate any other advice you may have maintaining evenness, working leveled irrigation bays. We have narrow bays with check banks every 30 meters or so. So working across the paddocks a challenge. And then of course, any other high, high productivity crop suggestions you'd like to give us uh, so we can utilize our flood irrigation. Okay. Well, boy, that's a lot of stuff. Um, let's start with this. Loading fertility, you mentioned phosphorus, potassium, micronutrients. For the most part, great. I just say, as we always do, boron, sulfur, nitrogen are the leachable things. We've got to pay attention to those because you can't, you don't ever want to go way overboard because otherwise it's not going to stick around as long as you want it to. Now, boron doesn't leach super fast, so I'd, I'd be making sure I've got some boron out there, especially in alfalfa, because it's it's a really important nutrient. And the other thing is when you're in the 20s for CEC, that's real heavy ground. So you're in good shape. Everything's going to stay there, should stay there for a long time when it comes to those fairly immobile nutrients like phosphorus, potassium, copper, zinc, that kind of thing. So if it's me, here's exactly what I would do. I'd go out, I'd take one acre soil test grids. I would then get everything built up, adjusted, balanced, the whole works, I'd, I'd invest the money. And I know it might cost a fair amount of money. I, so let's put it this way. If the amount you're going to have to spend is going to absolutely destroy your budget and you are on your last dollar, um, then you, you're going to have to make some cuts somewhere. But if it's me, this is literally what I'm doing on the loading fertility. 
Okay. One acre grids and I'm going to run variable rate fertilizer. That's super important. The thing you did not mention is soil pH. All soil pH for alfalfa has to be 6.8 or above, or you will not maximize your tonnage. And you can't change pH instantly. It takes two to three years very often. So where I'm going with this is you got to start now. Uh, And if you're going to seed it, you've already committed yourself. Okay, I get that. But I'd be getting some lime out there in the spots where you need the lime. But then in the future, I'd be thinking about, okay, where am I going to seed alfalfa three years from now? And I'd start adjusting that pH now so you get that pH up. Uh, All right. Next thing was incorporating the residue or how do we handle the residue? Look, I want you to make as much money as possible. So if grazing it or doing something else with it, bailing it off, whatever makes you more money, great. But the thing is, you've got to have that that field not totally residue free, but you have to be able to get great seed to soil contact. And it's really challenging with alfalfa. People really struggle with that. You're going to spend a lot of money on that seed. So we want the best seed to soil contact possible. So at least some degree of tillage is most likely going to be the way you want to go there. And then you want to get it rolled down, packed down, whatever afterwards, you've got to have that really good seed to soil contact for best results. In terms of how you're going to irrigate this and evenness on the irrigation base. I guess I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking there. Um, I just say how you get that, how you get that tilled, then seeded, then most likely rolled afterwards. Um, that those are all real key things if you're going to do flood irrigation. So I'm no expert in that, but I just say you're probably going to need a little trial and error there trying to figure that thing out. But I, I can't imagine that you aren't going to be able to get that taken care of since you have experience with flood irrigation. Um, I think those were the main questions. Darren, yeah, if you've got if you've got go other questions, Peter, just go ahead and and send them in to us, and maybe maybe those uh, comments got another response from you of oh okay well then I want to ask this as a follow up. Uh, sure, happy to take those questions. Got this from Michael. He said, "Guys, I'm in the Chicago area, and I'm trying to kill what is now uh, the worst weed. I never thought I could find a weed that would annoy me more than crabgrass and spurge in my lawn." But green foxtail seems to grow an inch a day this summer. I am looking at $60 prices for a gallon of Quinclorac, and I'm thinking I might just get the Roundup. (laughs) I've already spent five hours this summer picking up Speedwell. I don't want to spend another three hours digging up the weed of the week. Any recommendations on green foxtail? Well, it's just an annual weed. So, I mean, you could just keep mowing it off and and forget about it, and then it's done at the end of the season. But, boy, it... I have a hard time believing it's green foxtail, but if you're telling me it is, okay, green foxtail usually just survives well when it's cool. It's been a hot summer. But anyway, um, yeah, there there are plenty of things out there to kill green foxtail, and in the future, something like pendimethalin would be a good idea. Thanks for the question. Good luck with your lawn. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.